Now, I need to clarify something. I think some of you might be mistaken. Some of you think that Pastor Christian and I are related. We're not. Uh, we're not at all. But the connection is um, his brother-in-law is my brother and my sister-in-law is his sister. And so we're kind of connected distantly, uh, distantly. Um, in all seriousness, no. Kim, uh, Luke's wife, is Christian's sister. And uh, they are with us. They spent the first part of the week with Christian and Stephanie, and, and now they're hanging out with us. And, and I think we're all going to have lunch together today. But it's, uh, it's good to have Luke and Kim here. Luke is, in my opinion, one of the finest expositors uh, around. And I don't just say that because he's my brother. I truly love to listen to him preach the Word of God. He's faithful with the text. Uh, he loves the Lord. He loves the Word of God, and he loves God's people. And uh, I'm excited about him preaching again. I've got to hear it once uh, already. And... Uh, it was a blessing to my heart, and I hope it will be to yours as well. So, Luke, you come and let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the day you've given to us. I thank you that we can gather together on a morning and study your word and hear it and let it impact our lives. Lord, we pray that your word would make us alive. Father, if there are those in this room who are not yet believers in Christ, we pray that your word would convict their hearts and draw them to you. Father, for those who are believers but are struggling hard in sin or despairing in, in their soul, we pray that your word would encourage them and help them to look to Christ. Father, for those uh, who are growing and who are striving after you, we pray, Lord, that they would just continue to grow and that your word would just fertilize their heart, Lord, and help them to produce the fruit of righteousness. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is a rare privilege for me to be with you this morning, and uh, it's strange how it works out. As, as family full of pastors, um, whenever we get together, if it's over a weekend, somebody's working. That's just the way that it is, and it is a joy for me to be able to work with you this morning as we look at the Word of our God, and because we are here and because our God is Yahweh, uh, His Son, Jesus Christ, um, because that is true, we are unique. And, um, well, more, more so, He is unique in that He is the only God who speaks. Uh, he is not like all of the gods of the world and the pagan nations, uh, the gods who are mute and dumb. Our God speaks. And through His Spirit, as He carried the biblical writers along, He speaks now to us this morning through His Word. And so if you would, please stand with me as we read together from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray again. God, it is in your presence that we stand this morning, not because of our own merit, but because of the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We come this morning in his name, Asking that you would speak clearly to us through this text. I pray, Father, that all of us would be transformed by the power of it. 
And that your spirit would continue to mold us and press us into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The first and last time that I ever wore women's pantyhose, I was awarded a gold medal, believe it or not. The medal itself was for the German Armed Forces Badge for Military Proficiency in Gold. Try saying that really fast. Try memorizing that. And I was told by several other soldiers uh, just two weeks prior who had done this exact same competition that they said, if you don't want to have blisters, if you don't want to be miserable, get you some pantyhose. And at first I began to think, you know what, these guys are just a little bit crazy and I'm afraid that they're probably saying this so that I will wear pantyhose and then for the next 12 months as we're deployed together, this will continually be something that they tell me about and goad me about. But they were right, believe it or not. Blisters and all of the other pains that go with running and walking and running and walking will be dissipated by the use of pantyhose and they were correct, of course. So I did. Now, if I listened to those words of wisdom, I began to look at all of the different things that were going into this German Army Fitness Military Proficiency uh, Gold Award. And it was a 100-meter timed sprint, 3,000-meter timed run, a measured high jump, 200-meter timed swim, a measured shot putt, which those things are really heavy. Marksman shooting, all of the rounds that you shot downrange had to be in a small silhouette target, and then finally, a 22-mile march with a 33-pound rucksack. And we had to finish all of this in four hours. Let me rephrase. We had to finish the march in four hours. I think that would be suicide to do all of those things in four hours. <laughs> so a friend of mine, Sergeant Mayhall, uh, him and myself, we decided that we were going to do it all in gold. And so we'd done everything up until that point. All we had left that morning was the march. And so we got up before the sun got up, got our rucksacks on, and began to head out. Now, it was probably an issue of pride, but both of us, we had to finish in under four hours. It was absolutely necessary. And it was probably pride because we knew that there were other people who had completed in four hours. We knew that there were people that were less soldiery than we who had completed in four hours and we thought you know we can do it if they can do it we can do it and so we set out to try and accomplish this feat and after about a mile two miles three miles four miles after about 15 miles exhaustion begins to creep into your body and you begin to wonder is it worth it do I really care that much about a stupid piece of metal? But we continued on, mile after mile, knowing what lay before us, not just the finish line, but all of the blisters, all of the, 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 the aches and the pains, all of the people who were hobbling around as though they were geriatric, thinking that they ought to be able to walk just perfectly normal. No, these people are like hobbling with canes and some of them are sitting and can't move anymore. And I'm thinking, this is what I have to look forward to in the next two days. And yet we continue to go and go and go. The reality is we knew it wasn't going to be easy. You know, 
You set out on a mission like that, and you know it's not going to be something that's simple, something that's easy, but in the back of our minds, we knew that it was possible. So we walked, and we ran, and we walked, and we ran. Friends, when we come to this text this morning, we must remember all of what the author of Hebrews is writing to us about. He is writing a letter to people who are thinking about turning away from Christ. These Christians are Jewish in their background, and they are thinking about turning back to the Jewish religion, thinking that maybe they got it wrong, maybe they don't want to follow this Jesus. And the author of Hebrews throughout this entire book is saying to them, do not turn around. Do not give up. Do not stop trusting in Christ. He is the anchor of the soul. He is the only hope that you have. And they says the same thing to us this morning. Oftentimes, we come at this life and we begin to look at all of the things that are happening, whether it's relationships and divorce, whether it's, it's deaths, whether it's losses of other kinds, financial strain and struggle, and we begin to think, you know what, maybe just this God thing is just not for me. Maybe it's not true. And I say to you this morning, in the same way that the author of Hebrews says, do not quit. Do not turn around. Do not lose sight of the goal. And he comes to chapter 11. And all of these things that he said about the high priesthood of Jesus and the sacrifice of his blood and how it's perfect and better than the old covenant. He comes to chapter 11 and he says this. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. He's asking them, he's telling them to trust in what they cannot see. Friends, we must do the same. As he marches them through chapter 11, he begins to show them pictures of people who lived faithfully toward God and God enabled them to persevere to the end. And this ought to bolster our own faith in God. That if God did it with them, God will do it with us as well. So as we look at this passage, verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12, there is primarily one verb that we want to pay attention to. The verb is run. And it occurs at the end of verse 1. And it captures the emphasis of what the author is trying to say in the first two verses. Everything else in this passage supports that one verb. It describes the place that we are running. It, It describes the situation, the problems even, in which we as runners find ourselves. It describes the manner in which we are to run. And it describes the goal for which we are to run. So as we examine these two verses together, I want to encourage you to understand, first of all, the arena in which you run. Secondly, I want want you to examine how you are running. And then thirdly, I want you to remember who you are running to, for, and with. So let's look together at the first of these. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are two different arenas that I want you to see in this text. Now, first of all, when you think about this text, and as the original hearers would have heard the author speaking about an arena, speaking about a, a cloud of witnesses, their minds would have immediately jumped to uh, an athletic competition. 
Now, the people that he's writing to, most likely, these people are from Rome. They're Jewish Christians who fully understand everything about Rome. They know about the competitions. They know about the Colosseum. They know about the games and the athletics. And he's just unfolded this massive history in chapter 11. The, 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 the faithful saints who have gone throughout the ages. And he said to them, don't quit. Keep the faith. This is what he's been talking about throughout the entire chapter of 11. And he gives these examples of people who don't quit. Who suffer and suffer and suffer. And don't seem to even get the things that were promised to them. But God then is seen as faithful because he will give those things to those people. And so he describes the situation that they found themselves in, that all of those who have gone before them found themselves in, and also the place in which all of us, even here this morning, find ourselves in. The first arena is the outward arena. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now this phrase would immediately remind him of the Roman Colosseum. The term cloud in that ancient text oftentimes is referring to a crowd of people, uh, a gathering, a large gathering of people around a particular event. Now, when we look at that phrase, there's usually about three different ways in which we try to understand what the author is saying. The first is just a, a little bit creepy, to be quite honest. Uh, in fact, it's one of those things that oftentimes we, uh, we think, uh, and then uh, we begin to think a little bit more about it, and then we decide we don't want to think like that anymore. Oftentimes we think that Steve Warner, the, the, the country music singer, was right when he wrote the song, There are holes in the floor of heaven. And her tears, he's talking about his grandmother, are pouring down. And that's how you know she's watching, wishing she could be here now. And sometimes when I feel lonely, I remember she can see. And there's holes in the floor of heaven and she's watching over me. To be quite honest, that's creepy. <laughs> right? I mean, Really? You know people that have gone on before you. Do you want them watching you? Analyzing every single decision that you make, looking and doing that whole finger thing. Shame, shame, shame. Everybody up here knows your name. Do you want that? No. No, it's strange. It's awful. That's not what the text is talking about. These people aren't up there looking over you and, and saying, you know what, he did this, he did that, she did this, she did that. Well, when they get here... We'll have a lot to say to them. No, that's not what he's talking about. Oftentimes, that's what we think. The second thought usually is that these people, uh, if they're not bearing witness to our faithfulness or our unfaithfulness, maybe they're just sitting up there and they're just kind of like that track coach, you know? You know the one. The one who did state 25 years ago, right? And you know he did state 25 years ago because every time you see him, he tells you he did state 25 years ago. And he's sitting on the sideline and he's saying, Hey, go! You can do it! Go! You can do it! I know you can! You know why I know you can? I did it! I did it! I did it! You can do it! And oftentimes we think about the people. Maybe they're just up in heaven and they're just kind of circled about and they're just hollering, You can do it! You can do it! You know what? I did it! You can do it! That's not what he's talking about either. This cloud of witnesses, this great multitude of people who have gone before, they're not bearing witness to your faithfulness or to your unfaithfulness. They're not, they're not bearing witness to their faithfulness. No, they are bearing witness to the faithfulness of God who enabled them to persevere despite their own imperfections. That's what they're bearing witness to. 
God is faithful. God is able. God is able to take your life that sometimes looks so mangled and twisted and He's able to turn it and transform it into something that's beautiful and that gives Him glory. God is the one to whom they witness. Oftentimes we forget that we exist in a flow of history. We begin to think of our lives and we think of all of the things that are happening in our lives and we think maybe a month ahead. We think maybe a month behind. Uh, sometimes if we're doing really poorly, we think just the day behind. You know, and we don't want to think of ourselves in this broader spectrum of reality. But the truth is, all of us sitting here this morning, we exist in a flow of, of history. And it is a redemptive history. God is at work from creation to New Jerusalem to bring about everything to restoration. To bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. And there are many who have gone before us. And there are many... There are many who have been successful, and that is only because of God's grace. It is only because of God. And so we look to see what God has done. The arena in which we race holds also the history and life of your church. I think a lot of times we look at this text and we immediately begin to jump to the ethereal realm of heaven, and we think about all of the people that we find here in the text of Scripture, and, and we look at their lives only. But the truth is, friends, you are your own cloud of witness. There are people even here this morning who are struggling and agonizing because three years ago they experienced a divorce that crushed and broke their heart. Yet through that terrible situation, God is redeeming them. God is bringing them through that, through the gospel. There are some of you here this morning who are struggling through cancer, and chemotherapy after chemotherapy after chemotherapy, nothing seems to be working, and yet there is a peace that passes all understanding that God has given you. And as you stand, or if you sit, people look and they say, oh, God is at work in this person. God is faithful. God is the one who is bringing them through. God is the one who is able. That's the outward arena. The second arena is the inward arena. Look what he says there in the text. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. To lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. This is very similar to what Jesus is saying in the Gospels in Matthew 16 or, or Luke 9 where he talks about self-denial. He says to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. As we look at these two words, oftentimes we make a huge distinction between the two, weights and sins. The truth is the difference between them is, is not that massive. When a weight inhibits you from following after Jesus Christ, then it becomes sin to you. Then it becomes something that is exalted in your life above Jesus. And all of us have weights. We all just have different weights. For some of us, maybe it's your single-minded dedication to your job. Which seems like a very good thing, doesn't it? That's something that we all champion. One who is single-mindedly dedicated to their job, to being excellent and doing everything to the best of their ability. But oftentimes that looks more like workaholics than it does a faithful believer. 
For those of you, maybe it's your devotion to giving your children the best of everything. You want them to have the best car when they turn 16. You want them to have the best education and go to an Ivy League school. You want them to have the best kind of job. And so you try to help pave the way for all of that. All the while, spending all of your energy working and working and working to be able to pay for all of this stuff. Or working and working and working to try and help them get into the right school. And taking the time to, to help them develop their mental skills to be able to take tests and whatever it might be. All the while not paying attention to your primary job. Which is what? To make disciples of your children. To follow after Jesus Christ. Maybe there's others of you who struggle with that maintenance of a perceived type of holiness. It's not so much that you're a, a hypocrite outright. You just care more about the perception of being spiritual rather than really knowing Jesus deeply. We all have weights. But we also all have sins that we must deal with that entangle us. What sin is keeping you from following Christ completely? Now be careful. Because the First thing that we all like to do is the blame game. Adam and Eve did it. We just continue right after them and do the same things. We begin to blame people. We begin to blame circumstances. A.W. Pink, a pastor from years back, said this. The person is the same no matter what circumstance he may be in. Circumstances don't make you who you are. We respond to circumstances based upon what God is doing in our hearts. So friends, what is the sin that so easily entangles you? Maybe it's, it's arrogance. Maybe it's pride because maybe you're the expert that everyone always wants to come to. Maybe you're the person that everybody always looks to for the answers. Maybe you harbor bitterness in your heart about the people that you work with because they don't understand you. Because they don't like to sit with you at lunch. Maybe you're the mother or grandmother who controls your family by using guilt, forcing them to come and to be a part of family get-togethers even when they can't. Maybe you don't love your children for the right reasons. Maybe you just love them because they're yours. And you don't love them with the love that Christ loves them with. You don't love them in such a way that you want to make disciples of them. You just want them to have all of the stuff. We have to identify the sins that easily entangle us. And friends, not just you individually, but you as a church, you need to determine what weights, what sins maybe are holding you back as a congregation from accomplishing God's mission in your context. What attitudes, what, what ministries, what, what is it that's holding you back from reaching everyone in Macon, Missouri? What needs do you have in your community that need to be met? And then the question then is for you, how involved are you willing to be to make disciples of all nations, including making Missouri? The truth is, sometimes we forget that we live in a place that is not, that is not simply something we want to get back to 1776. And you know, oftentimes we hear this all over the place. We want to be a Christian nation again. Now, regardless of whether or not we think the nation was a Christian nation in the beginning, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is to make disciples of all nations, including the United States of America. And we have to come to grips 
with the understanding that we don't, we're not the majority. We live now as an outpost to the kingdom and we always have, whether we recognized it or not. The kingdom of Satan, the dark prince, he's the one that we battle against. He is the one in whom who we infiltrate his kingdom by living as kingdom citizens here and now. All of us, we are like CIA operatives. We go into every relationship with the intention of winning that person to the king. And it's not false love that sends us into those kinds of relationships. It's real love, true love, the love of Christ. The mission of the gospel, this is our first priority. So in order to run the race, we have to identify those arenas. We must abandon the things that keep us from being effective runners. We must, as Paul says, put on the old man and put on the new man. And who he says is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the wonderful news is that we can through God's spirit. We can take and put off this old man and put on this new man. He says in Romans 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is one of the most beautiful realities in all of Scripture is the union that we can have with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you come to Jesus, it's not as though Jesus is just saying, come ahead and I'm going to make your life a little bit better. We'll just add some stuff to it, spice it up a little bit and just send you on your way. No, the reality is when you come to Jesus, he takes you and you die so that you can live in his life. So you can really live eternal life. Friends, we must lay every weight and sin aside. All of those which cling so closely so that we can run with endurance. We must be conscious of the outward arena. We must be conscious of the inward arena. But we must also carefully examine how we are running. Look at the text. He says, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us looking to Jesus. Now there are three elements to this phrase that I want you to notice. The first is the origin of the race. The second is the stubbornness of the runner. And then the final one is the object of our motivation. We are to run the race that has been set before us. And this, honestly, it seems very simple, doesn't it? It seems very simple. He says, run the race that is set before us. And I say, run the race that is set before us. But the idea here is that the race has been set in place by God, not by us. God is the one who has exposed the track. God is the one who has, who has laid the foundation of the track so that we can run on. And it's even more than that. We, we didn't run fast enough to make the qualification rounds. It's not as though we, we ran good enough so that we could make it into this good race. No. No, that's not at all the reality that we see. God himself created the race. He picked us up out of death and a demon-infested kingdom and carried us on the bloody back of His Son to a new kingdom. To a racetrack. That's the origin of the race. But look at the stubbornness of the runner. We are to run with what? What does he say? Endurance. Endurance. What does he say? We cannot give up. We cannot give up. Like all of those who have gone before us, we cannot give up. 
We must continue on. So when your heart is broken and you don't think that it's ever going to heal, friends, don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because God is the one who heals broken hearts. When your world seems to be dark and hopeless and you seem to be depressed and you don't see any way out of this situation, do not give up. Because God is the one who is the light of the world. If you're tired of combating that same old tendency to sin with the same old kinds of things, do not give up. Jesus bled and died for your sins and He's coming back to finish in you what He started in you. Look at the third The object of our motivation. What does He say? He says, look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite pastors of all time was a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And in his autobiography, he tells the story of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ, how he was converted. It's an amazing story. I'm just going to read a short portion of it to you. But he says, on that particular morning, he is going to this church, and he says, the minister did not come that morning. He says, he was snowed up. Yeah. I suppose... There was another man then that came and looked very much like a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort. He went up into the pulpit and he began to preach. Now it is well, Spurgeon says, that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to the text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. And the text was this, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words right. But that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. He says, then the preacher began this way. This is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, look and don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just, look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Ah, he said in that broad essence. Many are ye looking to yourselves. But it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some say, look to God the Father. No, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you are saying, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. Spurgeon says, when he had managed to spin out about ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew that I was a stranger, just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew everything that was in my heart. He said, young man, you look very miserable. Spurgeon says, well, <laughs> I did, but I'm not accustomed to having remarks from the pulpit made on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home, and the preacher continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life, 
and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. Friends, look to Christ. Oftentimes I think that we, 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 we think that this, this gospel, this Jesus, he is something that we did years ago. It's something that we believed a long time ago. And somehow it, it relates to our life, but somehow we just continue on in this life. No, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands daily interceding for us, mediating on our behalf. That's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. And there he stands next to the Father. And he is there with your heart in his mind. He is there wanting you to come to him, to look to him, to trust in him, to believe in him. And it is that gospel that Jesus has died for our sins, taken on our sins, and taken all of our sins away, and that we trust in him and have eternal life in his name. It is that gospel that then inspires us to live a Christian life. We must look to him. Because it's only when we look to Him that we can possibly love Him. The manner in which we run the race or perform the task is commensurate to the love that we have for Jesus Christ. We must look to Him so that we can love Him. If Jesus is not our ultimate love, then sharing the gospel with your elderly grandmother who refuses to believe in Jesus Christ It'll pass you year after year. Because you don't want the tension. You don't want the discussions. If Jesus is not your ultimate love, then you will go to work every single day unaware of the multiple opportunities that the Spirit places in your path to bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not your ultimate love, then disciplining your children will be short-sighted. And it will be done in anger rather than as a dedicated effort to bringing them to the point of conversion with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't want to be like that. Do not be like that. I want to remind you of the words that the author of Hebrews used earlier as he spoke to his people and as he warned them about falling away, warned them about walking away from Jesus, he says to them, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I believe that's true. No matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, do not shrink back from the race. Look to Christ and remember who you are running to and for and with. Look at the text. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The truth is we cannot run this race in our own steam. Many of us have tried and all of us have failed. We are weak and we lack the wisdom that only Jesus Christ can supply to us. And too often our lives become busy and distracted and we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and we begin to see everything else and we don't see Him. And we, we, we look just like the Apostle Peter as he steps out of that boat 
out onto the sea and as the waves began to come up next to him and they began to grow and as the, the storm clouds continued to move in and the lightning bolts began to strike and the thunder began to roar, what happened? He lost focus. He began to look at the waves and look at his circumstance instead of looking to Christ. And friends, we often do the same things. Do not focus your attention on the circumstances, but focus your attention on Jesus Christ. In this race that we are in, Christ himself is the goal. Christ is the finish line. The glory of God in Christ is also our motivation. Paul says, do everything, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So in the most menial task that you perform every single day, and that's eating lunch like you're going to do in just a little bit, do it for the glory of God. Tying your shoes, putting your pants on, going to bed, every single thing that you do in your life, do it for the glory of God. Let there be a worship response coming from your heart that you have all of these things, that God has given you and blessed you with these things. Remember also who you're running with. Jesus is the one who encourages us. He has run the race before, and He is the one who has founded our faith, and He will be the one who brings us to completion on that final day. The word founder and author mean that Jesus Himself is the source of our faith. Those things don't originate with us. Jesus is the source of all life. We find it in Him. So there, Sergeant Mayhall and I were. Pole after pole. Pole after pole. One foot in front of the other. But as we drew near to the end, we looked out and we saw the finished line. Could see the end, Humvee Park there. I could see all of our comrades there standing on the side, telling us, come on, you can do it, come on, you can do it. I remembered the mission that all of this was preparing us to do. And we passed over the finish line. Friends, Jesus is the goal. Reaching Jesus is the finish line. But Jesus is also the one encouraging us. You can do this. I'm here with you. And it's the gospel of Jesus that is our mission. That sends us out into this world to run a race that we cannot do on our own. Oh, friends, run the race and look to Christ.